what is God's will for your life? We had some idea of God's will for our life from 1 Thessalonians 4, your sanctification in verse 3. But now we're going to see for a second time three things that God brings together through the writing of the Apostle Paul that can show us his will for our life. We're going to learn the importance of always rejoicing without ceasing to pray and in everything giving thanks. And I pray as a result of this sermon, you will take those three verses and make them one and write them deeply upon your heart along with the other exhortations we're about to study today. I am blessed with uh, three adult sons now in their 30s and uh, five grandchildren. But when my sons were younger, they regularly played with twins from down the street. Uh, My eldest son, Joshua, asked a fraternal twins one day about the vocation of their father. Uh, He responded, one of the two, my dad is a roofer. And then the other brother turned to my eldest son and said, well, what does your dad do for a living? And I'll never forget it. Uh, Joshua looked right at them and said, my dad doesn't have a job. He is a pastor. (laughs) Needless to say, I had a private conversation to uh, make a slight correction to Joshua's statement after uh, his friends departed. Paul seems to be making a slight correction to the Thessalonians who are not appreciating as they ought their pastors. Now, if you would turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5, and as you're turning there, we're going to see from 5.11 where Paul said, therefore comfort each other and edify one another. He is going to build upon this. In verses 12 through 22 with a series of practical exhortations. So practical exhortations are coming. And let me give you a set of questions as you are turning to 1 Thessalonians 5. Number one, what is the result of church members appreciating their pastors? What's the result when the church members really have an appreciation, sincere appreciation for their pastors? How should the brethren serve one another? What's your obligation to one another? Number three, what are three things that you should continually do to fulfill God's will? There are three things that you should do to fulfill God's will regularly. What are they? And then number four, are you rejecting the ministry of the Spirit? That's the Holy Spirit and the Word. Let me go ahead and read to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 12 through 22. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the fainthearted, uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. 
Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Join me in prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the great doctrinal truths we have learned together from First Thessalonians. I also thank you now for the exhortations that are given and the commands. Help us to take them to heart and to apply them based upon what we have learned earlier. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. In verse 12, and we urge you. Paul is now shifting to a new topic. He takes the word comfort or exhortation from 5.11 and now gives us a series of exhortations. Notice the word urge. There is a tender tone of appeal, which is further enhanced by the word brethren. The term of affection literally coming from the same womb. He addresses them with the greatest of respect, but encouraging them to what? Recognize those who labor among you. To recognize, to know is the root idea. I believe the NASB captures the essence of the word used in this context. Appreciate. Appreciate those who labor among you. Paul regularly appointed elders in every church. We see that from Acts 14 in verse 23. But let me give you a scenario. As he was at Thessalonica, he preached, a church is formed, he stays several months, he then trains them in the word of the Lord. But then he picks, I'm sure after much prayer, pastors to lead the congregation. Now, all of them got saved, perhaps at the same time. And then now, all of a sudden, you have some that are made your spiritual head. You could kind of see why perhaps some of the Thessalonians didn't take to that idea too quickly. So Paul was writing to them that they appreciate those that are over them in the Lord. Now, one article governs three participles, the words labor, over you, admonish. The pastor has three roles, and because of his calling and service, he deserves the congregation's appreciation. The first that is mentioned here is labor, the first participle. And by the way, all three participles are plural. I think showing the plurality of the leaders in the church. And this uh, really shouldn't surprise us because as you go through the New Testament, you know, for instance, in Acts 14 in verse 23, it speaks there about appointed elders. The term is plural. And by the way, elder, bishop, pastor, they're synonyms referring to the same office. And then in Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, Paul is calling for the Ephesian, but it doesn't say elder, but elders. In Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, 
Paul is writing to the bishops, see the leadership there, the elders and the deacons. And then again in Titus 1.5, he commands Titus to appoint elders. So the term is plural, but we are to note those who, number one, labor, labor, labor. It means to be fatigued, to be weary, to be exhausted. Like Paul, because he labored to the point of exhaustion, like elders. Listen to 1 Timothy 4.10. For to this end, we both, and here's the term, labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, but especially of those who believe. So Paul was one who labored to the point of fatigue, for those that he served. Then we also have Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.17, these words. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. The concept is generous pay, especially those who labor, here's our term, in the word and doctrine. When you diligently study the word of God to teach others you're fatigued. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. And Paul says those elders are worthy of generous pay. It takes time to study adequately to prepare messages to feed the sheep. And those who preach the gospel have the right to live by the gospel. So number one, you note those elders who labor. Number two are over you, over you. Literally means to stand before you. We see that term in 1 Timothy 5, 17 that I just read to you. And then also it's used of the elders, see, because they're out in front of the congregation. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5, and then also of the deacons in 1 Timothy 3, 12. See, because they're in front of you. Um, in the Middle East, shepherds did not drive the sheep as in the West, but they were out in front of the sheep. Remember what Jesus says? My sheep, they hear my voice and what they do, they follow me. So a good elder pastor is saying, imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. They're over you. And number three, and this is an important function of those in leadership, perhaps the most difficult, who admonish you. Admonish. It means to warn, literally to put to the mind. By the way, those who love you the best warn you. God is our Father. Whom the Lord loves, he what chastens. We're instructed in the scripture that the rod and reproof... See, give wisdom that when we love our children and Hebrews 12 points out that you could tell the earthly fathers who love the children, they discipline them. Our heavenly father does the same, but there's a combination. There's a warning and there's a spanking. Okay. That's the idea here of admonish to warn Paul to the Ephesian elders. Listen to Acts 20 and verse 31. He says to them, therefore, watch. And remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. See, he knew 
that those who wanted to devour the flock would come in. So he warned those elders. And it's not just a function, by the way, of the pastoral staff. In Romans 15 and verse 14, we learn that congregational members should admonish one another. When you see a brother or sister who doesn't have the right thinking or living correctly, it's your responsibility to warn that child of God to get back on the right path. This is what we are called to do as well. And now in verse 13, back here in 1 Thessalonians 5, and to esteem them, see, appreciate them very highly in love for their works sake. The concept here of esteem is to regard. And what do they do? They are to regard them, esteem them very highly. This is a compound superlative beyond all measure. It really means you need to really put out to encourage the pastoral staff. That's what the text is teaching here ever so clearly. That same compound word is found in Ephesians 3.20. It says, now unto him, see God who is able to do, and here's your compound term, exceedingly abundantly. To go beyond all measure is the concept here. So you are to esteem them very highly, how? In love. And love is just not an emotion, it's a direction of the will. It's a tangible. It's described in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It suffers long and is kind. We are to love those in leadership is what we are told to do. And why? For their work's sake. Since you know they're laboring, you understand that they were over you, they're out in front of you, they have the difficult task to admonish you, then you need to appreciate them for their work that they were called to do. And at times you need to separate, if you will, the person from the office. They might seem to be a peer to you, but they are God's chosen appointee. And you need to show the respect that is necessary. Something intriguing. And please do not miss this at the end of the verse, verse 13. It goes on to say, be at peace among yourselves. That's an imperative. Be at peace among yourselves. It's, it works this way in a congregation. The church is not a democracy. Everything is not to be voted upon. You have elders that are out in front who lead, who give you direction, who admonish you. And they are to be followed. When that happens and the congregation appreciates their pastors, guess what happens in the church? There's peace because there is unity. So, number one, appreciate and love your leaders to experience peace. Huh. I wonder how many congregations have constant turmoil, not because of godless leaders, and that can happen, but because of congregational members not obeying the clear teaching of Paul here from 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. Transition to point number two. Serve the saints and overcome evil with good. Serve the saints 
and overcome evil with good. Paul's tone to the saints intensifies after having made an appeal, if you will, to friends, he is now going to give an exhortation and a series of commands. Notice in verse 14, the exhortation. Now we exhort you. The term exhort means to come alongside of. How does he exhort them? With six imperatives, with six commands. We are now getting to that very practical portion of Scripture. Paul has stated so many of the things he wanted to instruct these believers with, and now he gives them a series of commands. But he does so affectionately, once again in verse 14, calling them brethren. And he says here, warn those who are unruly. Notice here the command, warn, put in the mind, admonish. It's the same term we saw back in chapter 5 in verse 12. And who is it that the congregation needs to warn or admonish? The unruly. The adjective only appears here in the Greek New Testament, and it means not to be arranged under. Uh, it means to be disorderly. Uh, secularly, it was a, a military term uh, about an army that was disorganized. Okay, so they were not in order. It was also used of those that were idle. And I think Paul is going to speak to that group as we move on. And notice now the second command, comfort the faint hearted. Literally here, it's the little sold, those that are weak, either physically or spiritually. And the word here, comfort, means to speak to, to give them soothing, kind words. John chapter 11 in verse 19 is where the term uh, occurs. And it's of the women who are around Martha and Mary to what comfort them concerning their brother, Lazarus, who had died. So we need to comfort the faint-hearted or the little sold. Uh, in Romans 15, 1, we're told we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. The reality is you will find brothers and sisters in the body who are little sold. They're not strong spiritually. So we need to speak kind words to encourage them. Thirdly, uphold the weak. Uphold means to get a firm grip on, to keep them supported. In life, we make a choice what we're going to hold on to. Jesus gives the dichotomy. He says you cannot serve what God and money. You can't hold on to both. You got to make a choice there. We are to uphold, hold on to the weak. Uh, it's an important concept that we come alongside of them and give them the support that they need. The weak here literally means those without strength can be used of physical strength as first Peter three, seven, or it can be used. And as I think it's used here of maybe those that are morally or spiritually weak, and we need to come alongside of them and uphold them. There's a lot of temptation in the ancient world as there 
is much temptation here. We studied that in 1 Thessalonians 4, in the beginning of the chapter, concerning sexual morality. So we have to support those that are given to temptation and submitting to the temptation not to do so. It's important that we come alongside of the weak and we give them encouragement to make them strong. Are we doing that? Are we that sensitive to the brothers and sisters in Christ that are struggling, that need us to come alongside of them and to give them the support, to hold on to them firmly so that they will not fall? Fourth, be patient with all. That's a challenge, everyone. <laughs> Don't say be patient with some. Be patient. The command here is given. Uh, the verb be patient is used 10 times from the Greek New Testament, and it means to be long-winded or to be long-tempered. In other words, it takes you a long time to blow a gasket. So be patient is the idea with all people. We see the term. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love suffers how? Long. It's long-winded. It's long-tempered and is kind. In James chapter 5 and verse 7, we have that word appearing twice. And the farmer needs to be patient. Verse 7 of uh, James 5. And then we're told that we also need to be patient for the fruit. We need to be patient as well. Very practical exhortations, but necessary ones that apply to each one in the body of Christ. The fifth one we find in verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. Observe the term see. It's a present imperative. Keep on looking to this and make sure that no one repays someone evil for the evil done to them. Uh, we are to overcome evil with good. Very important. Did you notice the words that I read a few moments ago from 1 Corinthians 13, 4? Love suffers long and is what? Kind. So not only are you to be enduring, but then you are to show acts of kindness even to those that are not being kind to you. That's genuine biblical love. Paul continues, but always pursue what is good for yourselves and for all. The sixth command in the short series of commands is pursue. Present active imperative is used of persecution, that you need to keep going after this in the positive sense, to pursue or persecute. Uh, it's very important. That we not only flee youthful lust, but then we pursue the things that are wholesome and good with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Second Timothy two twenty two. Okay, let's take a moment here and review our first two points and then move on to our third. Appreciate and love your leaders to experience peace. That was point number one. Our second employment point. Serve the saints and overcome evil with good. And now our third point, continually rejoice, pray, and give thanks to fulfill God's will. If there were three verses that I think everyone should have in their church office or study, somewhere in their house, it would be these verses. Why? They're so profound. They're very brief words because actually in verse 16 this is the shortest verse 
in the Greek New Testament. You're used to Jesus wept in John 11:35. That's the shortest in the English in the New Testament, but this is the shortest in the Greek. Pantate kairete, rejoice always. And by the way, in all three verses, the modifier appears first. So the concept is always rejoice without ceasing pray in everything give thanks you get the idea there so what's the first one rejoice always rejoice always may i encourage you that we can rejoice in the lord regardless of circumstances that's the book of philippians paul under house arrest, approximately AD 60 to 62, writes to the free saints, right? Those not incarcerated and tells them in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Why? Joy is something that the Holy Spirit produces in us. Galatians 5, makes it the second fruit of the spirit. So when we're walking with God, regardless of the circumstances, we can have joy. And how are we to have that joy? Continually. Life is to be a constant joy for us because we know the joy giver. So what do we do here? Verse 16, rejoice always. Second, pray without ceasing. So without ceasing, pray. Without intermission. I can remember being a, a, a child and the parents taking us to the drive-in movie theater. And at the time, midpoint usually in a movie, they had what? An intermission. Why? So you could go buy snacks. When it comes to praying, there's no intermission. There should be no period of interruption. Romans 1.9, without ceasing, Paul would say, I make mention. And he's talking about his prayers for them. The idea is that it's continual. It's consistent. It needs to be a way of life for us that we are praying without ceasing. Paul practiced this, by the way. Uh, not only does he command the saints to pray, but then when you study the epistles, you see he prayed faithfully and regularly for them. So we, we do what we pray without ceasing. And then as you come down here to verse 18, in everything, what do you do? Give thanks. If our God is in control of every detail in the universe, regardless of what comes our way, whether seemingly good or bad, we can give thanks because it's all part of God's plan to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. So in everything, we can give thanks. And it's intriguing here, it says, for this. And the word this is singular, but it brings the three together. In other words, when we start to talk about God's will for our life, these three verses speak to that. What do we do? What is it in God's will that we always rejoice, that we without ceasing pray, and that in everything we give thanks? That's God's will. Now, when it is expressed here, the will of God, literally from the Greek, it's we could translate it a will of God. It's not the only will of God. There are other things that are the will of God that you see that same expression used elsewhere. But here, it's something that is very important because it is what God desires for all of us, that we rejoice always, that we pray without ceasing, that in everything we give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I would encourage you to memorize these verses 
ask God to write them upon your heart that you might go and put them into practice. And I'm telling you, life will never be the same. And now for our fourth point. Stop rejecting the spirit and word while clinging to good. Let me say that again. Stop rejecting the spirit and word while clinging to good. In verses 19 through 22, we have five brief commands given. The first two, verses 19 and 20, are stated negatively. And then the last three uh, in verses 21 and 22 are stated positively. So let's take a look at this. Number one, verse 19, do not quench the spirit. To quench means to extinguish. It can be used of of putting out a literal fire, as in Matthew 12 and verse 20. But here is metaphorical. You can't put out the Holy Spirit. Once he takes up residence, there's no way to, if you will, extinguish him. That's an impossibility. So there's a concept here of don't stifle, don't suppress the Spirit's ministry to your life by not yielding to him. See, rather, what you are to do is to take the shield of faith with which you will be able to what? Quench, same term to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So don't quench the spirit. Don't try to extinguish the movement of the spirit of God in your life. But particularly, what is the direction that the spirit is giving? Well, previously, in everything give thanks, pray without ceasing, right? And in rejoice always, verses 16 through 18, although I gave it to you in reverse order there. Get the idea here. Don't quench the spirit by not practicing those things. So when you don't rejoice always, you're quenching the spirit. You're, in essence, stifling or suppressing the work of the spirit of God in you. And when you don't pray without ceasing, same thing. And when you don't give thanks, always the same thing. But there's a connection that is made here in verses 19 and 20 with the second command. Do not despise prophecies. Present active imperative. Don't think little of the prophecies. Remember that when Paul writes this epistle, and it's an early epistle, the New Testament was not complete. So therefore, it was essential that you would have apostles and prophets prophesying, preaching the very things that would later be written down and put into the word of God. So when the Thessalonians heard from Paul and heard from Silas, by the way, who was also a prophet according to the book of Acts, they needed to submit. They needed not to quench the spirit by rejecting the message given to them. That's the connection here. So do not despise prophecies. And then now down in verse 21, because we saw the first two negative. Now we got the three positives. Test all things. And that's a present command. Test. Keep on testing all things. Examine. In First uh, John 4, 1, it says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. How do you test a spirit that you can't see? You listen to the message being proclaimed. And if the message doesn't align with scripture, then you know that is not of God. But you have to test. You have to test. 
Very important. You test all things. The spiritual person, according to 1 Corinthians 2.15, appraises or judges all things. You have to take a look at everything that comes your way and then run it through the process of the word of God. In other words, you need to see if what is coming your way is something that you can or cannot do based upon what the scripture teaches. The scriptures are standard. So we test all things. Oh, imagine if the Christian community did that with their music because God has put a new song in her heart, Psalm 40, verse 3. Imagine if the Christian community did that with their movies, you know, not watching something that would use or a person using the name of the Lord in vain. Imagine what would happen if we started rejecting this world system in his music and movies, imagine how discerning we would become in all things and mature. So we need to learn to test all things. Hold fast, hold fast. It's another positive command. Hold fast what is good. There's an intensifier affixed to the verb. Kata, here's the intensifier, echoes to have it to hold. Hold on strongly to the moral good. Make sure that those things that are wholesome that you grasp in Philippians 4, 8, you know, we're to meditate on the things that are good and true. That's what the child of God needs to do. And then down here in verse 22, our final verse, abstain from every form of evil. The command here, abstain, is a present middle imperative. You protect yourself. That's the idea of the middle voice. It's something you're doing for yourself. You protect yourself when you abstain from every form or kind of evil. Now, I need to take a moment and explain the term form here because it can have two concepts to it. One is the idea of sight, form, or appearance. Remember the King James Version, the one that I was brought up, abstain from every appearance of evil? That's one way this term could be translated. But then in the secular realm, uh, the papyri, which is just simply documents from the, uh, from the time of the New Testament, it had the idea of class or kind. And that's what the New King James Version does with the translation. In essence, abstain from every form of or every kind of evil. What's the difference? Well, if you go with the term appearance as the King James Version, then we're to abstain from every appearance of evil. Did Jesus abstain from every appearance of evil when he was ministering to prostitutes, when he ate with tax collectors, when he came upon lepers? No. See, I don't think the idea is appearance because appearances can be deceptive. We would never do evangelism if we could not go into certain places and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't think the idea here is from the original, the appearance of evil. I think he's talking about kind or class of evil. We need to stay away from every kind, every practice, every every form of evil. I think that's what's being expressed in our verse here. So let's review. Appreciate and love your leaders to experience peace. This week, 
what can you do to show your pastor's appreciation? I know we have traditionally a pastor appreciation month in America, but what can you do and what should you be doing regularly to show you appreciate them? Maybe think about something you can do to free up their time. Maybe something that they would enjoy doing. Many in ministry really make great sacrifice economically in order to serve the Lord. Keep that in mind. Uh, I could have made a ton more money in the secular workforce than I ever could have made in ministry. May I say for your pastors, find ways to be able to encourage them, show them you appreciate them and esteem them very highly, you know, exceedingly high. Show them respect. Very important, not just with your lips, but by your actions. Number two, serve the saints and overcome evil with good. Be about the work of the Lord. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 121. Christ is the priority. But then we also have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5. And that was the concept of serving others. Sacrificing for others. And even when you get hit with evil, turn around and express good. Bless those who curse you. Number three, continually rejoice, pray, and give thanks. To what? Fulfill God's will. Those three commands are part of God's will. His desire for us that we always rejoice. Why? Because the spirit of God is within us and God's in control of everything. So regardless of the circumstance that comes, we can rejoice in the Lord. He's in charge of everything. He does not change regardless of the circumstance we face. Then we, without ceasing, pray, without intermission, keep on praying. That's God's will for you. Keep attached to him so you can be fruitful concerning the kingdom of God. And then in everything, give thanks. Regardless of what comes your way, thank God for it. It's part of your growth process. And whatever comes your way, God is going to use. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It's God's will. Take those three verses and memorize them. Determine to write them deeply upon your heart and always practice them. And then finally, stop rejecting the spirit and word while clinging to good. Whatever the word of God says, do. Don't quench the spirit by not obeying 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. You need to continually pray so you don't quench the spirit. And then in everything, give thanks. When we are a thankful people, we don't quench the spirit because this is what we are called to do. Let's make sure we practice that continually. And finally, you know, let's, let's just make sure that we are submissive to the word of God. And that we do not quench, inhibit God's work in our lives because the spirit wants to have full freedom, to have total control of us. And we are most blessed when we are being spirit filled according to Ephesians 5. Remember that? Don't be drunk with wine in which is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Be controlled by the spirit. By submitting to the word, you can be spirit filled. And you'll know that because you will have that joy you will have that thanksgiving, and you'll also have a submissive spirit. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. We've covered a lot of terrain today, but it's good terrain. It's holy ground. And I pray that we would take even what seems to be the least command 
and make it a priority in our own lives. Help us to put these principles to work so we can please you in all things and lead productive Christian lives for the glory of God. And I pray in Jesus' name. 